I'm told that a young pastoral candidate was trying to make an impression on the pastoral search committee that had come to hear him preach. You know that pastoral search committees are the ones who determine whether you are hired um, or not. And so he was trying to make an impression on this uh, search committee that they would in fact uh, hire him. And so his sermon was on the Old Testament uh, passage where God had asked this woman who was giving birth to a son and who was in fact dying as she was on the labor and delivery table, God had asked her to name his son Ichabod, which means that my glory has departed from among you. However, the pastor made a very huge blunder because try as he might, he could not remember the name Ichabod. And so as he was preaching, he said, church, if you don't obey God, if you don't listen to God, if you don't follow God, do you know what God will say to you? He will say, Mishalob. Once the laughter died down in the congregation, because I can see that you didn't quite get that, once the laughter died down, the embarrassed young pastor apologized and tried his very best to finish his sermon. Now today's message is entitled, Let the Glory Return. Let the glory return. And if you desire to see the glory of the Lord return to our church, would you say amen? Amen. Our text this morning is in the book of Luke. It seems like we've been in the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9 forever. We've been working through that for several weeks now. We are at verse 28, reading through to verse 35. Only my screen would cooperate with me, I would be able to find my passage. And here I am. All right. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he, meaning Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now, what if you had seen the glory of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where he had gone with Peter, James, and John to pray? What if you were there in person to hear him 
have this conversation with Moses and Elijah about the fact that he would indeed depart from heaven after he had been crucified and risen from the dead. What if you had seen the cloud overshadow them as they were praying? And what if you had heard this voice from heaven saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now this was no made-up story. Luke did not just make it up. He must have had a conversation with those who were present and there in person. And so I want you to listen to someone who will tell us from his own mouth, someone who in fact was there when this happened. In fact, we turn to uh, Luke, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19, as Peter himself gives us his account of what Luke just shared with us. So Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. In other words, we didn't make this up, and Luke did not make this up either. These are not myths that you're hearing. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, which you will do well to pay attention. So Luke is saying, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter is saying, we were there. We attest to what Luke just shared with you. In fact, if you read the book of Luke, you would notice that in the very opening paragraph of his book, he tells us that he had meticulously written down everything that he had received from eyewitnesses who were there. So Luke must have gotten it from Peter's mouth and from the mouths of those who were there in the presence of Jesus and who had seen his glory on that mountain. I believe that the Lord gave me this message this morning about the glory of the Lord returning to his church and what it will require of us if we are to see that happen in our lifetime. And I already have, I have it on record of you saying amen that you want to see this happen. All right, so I have it on record. All right, so here's our first point. To see God's glory, we must be fully awake rather than asleep. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Now, the question we must first ask ourselves is this. How can anyone be asleep in the presence of the glory of Jesus when the glory of the presence of Jesus is the most incredible thing imaginable? It's a long question. I need to ask it again. How can anyone be asleep in the presence of the glory of Jesus when the glory of the presence of Jesus is the most incredible thing imaginable. There is nothing like the presence 
of the glory of Jesus. I want us to picture Jesus. He's on his knees. He's praying to the Father. And he is becoming transfigured. That's just a fancy name or fancy word for saying that he, his appearance changed. Luke tells us that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Now this is nothing less than the glory of Jesus. Let me say again that there is nothing like the presence of the glory of Jesus. The word glory, wherever it is used in scripture, means weight. It means weight. Not that anyone can ever weigh God. You can't weigh God. You can't even measure him. How, how much less can you weigh him? The best that people can do when trying to describe the weight of the glory of God is to tell you what it is like. They can't really tell you what it is. They can only give you a sense of what it is like. And so Moses described it this way back in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 24 and 17. Moses describes it like this. Now the appearance, now notice he didn't say the glory. He says the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. That is what it is like. But it is even more than that. And so in the Old Testament, people were afraid of seeing the glory of the Lord because no one could ever live to tell about it. That's just how serious that was. Sometimes the glory of the Lord hovered over the Old Testament tabernacle in the form of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And what is amazing was that the people of Israel would know when it was time to set out through the wilderness and follow Moses when the cloud lifted from the tabernacle. But when it stayed over it, that was their indication that they needed to stay. So they never did anything unless the glory of the Lord led them. Sometimes the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so that regular worship couldn't really happen. Moses and his priests could not minister in the temple because it was filled with the presence of the glory of the Lord. And so what they simply be amazed by it and to fall face down in reverence before the glory of the Lord. One occasion, Moses, after coming out from the presence of the glory of the Lord, his face shone so brightly that people became afraid to actually look at Moses. And so somebody rushed and covered his face with a towel because they were afraid to behold the glory of the Lord. Now, if there is nothing like the, the glory of the presence of the Lord, how then can anyone be asleep in the presence of the glory of the Lord? That is the question. And so as we look at our text, we see that Peter, James, and John, they were in the presence of the glory of Jesus, and they were heavy with sleep. Heavy with sleep. Now, I think that something is terribly wrong with that picture. Now, okay, maybe they were, they were tired. Maybe they were tired from a hard day's labor. Maybe after climbing a mountain and being tired, Praying 
is not something that they would delight in. So let's give them that. They were tired. But lest we be too quick to pull the trigger at Peter, James, and John, who were heavy with sleep, and we often like them. And we often like them. There are far too many people who are asleep in church, some with their eyes wide open. And they are in the presence of the glory of Jesus. They, they are where the presence of the glory of Jesus is manifested. And the best they can do is sleep. Something is wrong with that picture. I believe that God longs to manifest his glory in the church of all places. Where his people gather weekly to worship. God tells us in his word that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of us, and that is to bless us. But the problem is, we are heavy with sleep in the presence of the glory of Jesus. We are often too spent from our labor during the week. No wonder the Apostle Paul says, in his scriptures, wake up, O sleeper, and let the glory of Jesus shine on you. Let us notice as we look at our text that it was only when Peter, James, and John awoke from their slumber that they saw the glory of Jesus. And Peter couldn't help but exclaim, Lord, it is good that we are here, because we have seen your glory. In other words, there's no place we would rather be than here, not because our friends are here, not because it is what religious people do on a Sunday morning, but because the glory of your presence is here. That's what Peter is saying. And I pray to myself, oh, for a church that is fully awake with the desire to see the glory of the Lord in our midst. Would you say amen? Here's our second point this morning. God's glory will either overshadow us or it will expose us. It's a very serious point. God's glory will either overshadow us or it will expose us. As he was saying these things, Luke writes, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now, whenever you read the word overshadow in Scripture, don't take it lightly. Whenever you hear the word overshadow used in Scripture, it appears eight times in the Bible. Three times in the Old Testament and five times in the New Testament. Every time it is used, it is in reference to the presence of God coming over or casting a shadow over something or someone. And so in the, the books of Exodus, 1 Kings, and Hebrews, they all mentioned cherubim or angels overshadowing the mercy seat and the ark of the Lord. We sang a little bit about that, the cherubim or angels that were overshadowing the ark of the Lord in the tabernacle. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all describe a cloud overshadowing Peter, James, and John as they are with Jesus on the mountain. The only other time that it is used in scripture is in reference to the Virgin Mary when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and caused Jesus, the baby, 
to be conceived in her. And so the cloud represents the presence of the glory of the Lord. Notice in our text that it completely overshadows Peter, James, and John. But I don't want you to miss this crucial point. It is very important. Luke also tells us that Peter, James, and John entered the cloud. So, the cloud overshadows them, and they entered the cloud. I believe that something always happens inside us whenever we allow the glory of the Lord to overshadow us. Because, you see, the glory of the Lord will either confirm something in us, or it will birth something in us. Can I say that again? The glory of the Lord will either confirm something in us, or birth something in us. Now, this is why years after this experience, Peter is telling us that something was confirmed in them when they saw the glory of the Lord. Something was confirmed in them. This is what he says. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That was what we just read. In other words, the word from God concerning Jesus was now more fully confirmed in them so that they understand it and they can proclaim it. And so the glory of the Lord overshadows us to confirm something in us. Has he confirmed anything in you recently? That he's with you? That he loves you? That he has called you? The glory of the Lord also overshadows us to birth something in us. Now please remember that when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, the Virgin Mary, his message to her was this, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the, the, the glory of the Lord overshadows us to birth something in us. Has he birthed anything in you recently? A dream. A dream to do something that he's calling you to. Is he showing you anything more clearly? I also believe that the glory of the Lord overshadows us to expose us. But believe me when I tell you this, and I tremble, believe me, I'm literally trembling as I share these words with you. The glory of the Lord will also expose you if you're not careful to allow him to overshadow you. Now, there are several instances in Scripture where the glory of the Lord exposed people. And it wasn't pretty when, it did, when he did that. I want you to take Dathan and Abiram as an example. You probably have never heard those two names, but these names are important. So these two men in the Old Testament, do you know what they are famous for? They opposed Moses' authority. God had divinely appointed Moses to lead his people uh, through the wilderness, but they defiantly opposed Moses. And not only did they defy Moses and oppose him, but they led 250 men to rebel against Moses as well. And here is how the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Lord, exposed them. 
Numbers chapter 16, verses 31 through 35. Now, the story is much longer than this, but I just uh, picked out this little paragraph to share with you. As soon as he, meaning Moses, finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. This is these two men that I just told you and their entire families and the 250 men that they led to rebel against Moses. So the ground opens up, swallows them up, everything they owned, and then the earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. This is just one example of when the glory of the Lord exposed people because they refused to allow it to overshadow them. I want you to take another example, Achan. Maybe some of you have never heard this name either. But here is Achan's claim to fame. It's not a good story. He disobeyed God because, you see, God had told or commanded Joshua and all of the people of Israel that when you go up and you conquer the enemy nation of Ai, make sure that everything that you find in that city be devoted to destruction. Burn everything. Don't take anything for yourselves. The entire city must be devoted to destruction. But what Achan did was that he saw a Babylonian piece of garment that he really loved. And he saw some money as well that he really desired. And so he took the gold and the garment and he hid them in his tent. And we're told that God carried out this. I've never heard a description like that anywhere else in scripture where God says, I want you, Joshua, to bring these people before me, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, man by man. And guess what? The lot exposed Achan. This is another example of where the glory of the Lord exposed Achan. Now you can find this in the book of Joshua chapter 7. You can read it there for yourself. I didn't... It's a long chapter, and so I couldn't really include that this morning. But Joshua chapter 7, if you desire to read that story, read it. I want to share with you one final example from Scripture of where the glory of the Lord exposed people, this time in church, because they refused to allow the glory to overshadow them. Acts chapter 5 and verse 9, 2 through 10, two people a couple, a marital couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And the short story is, is this, that they sold a piece of property and they had already promised God that all of the proceeds from this property they would give back to him. That's what they covenanted. But after they sold it, they decided, well, we are not going to go ahead and pay this whole thing and give this whole thing to God. We're going to keep back a portion for ourselves. And then they lied about it, and the glory of the Lord exposed them. And so in Acts chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, I read this. Peter said to her, so it's already happened to her husband, and now Peter confronts her, the wife, Sapphira. And he asks her this question, how could you and your husband conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, 
The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. So this has already happened to the husband, now it's happening to the wife. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Again, I'm shuddering as I tell us this this morning, and I'm not only preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. The glory of the Lord will either overshadow you and birth something in you or confirm something in you, or it will expose you. And when the glory of the Lord does that, it won't be pretty. Here's my third and final point this morning. The glory of, of God or God's glory demands that we listen before doing. Peter said to Jesus, let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I believe that the church, and not, I'm not necessarily speaking to this church generically, I'm speaking to the church as a whole. I think the church has gotten to, the, to where doing has become more important than being. Doing or activity has become more important than being. But the first call of discipleship, or the first call to be a part of, or be one of Jesus' disciples, the first call is to be and then to do. It doesn't mean that doing isn't necessary. It is. But being must come before doing. Being is what we call spiritual formation. It is how we are formed spiritually as we attend to things like discipleship and fellowship and prayer. And believe me, Gary did such an excellent job last Sunday. I really was blessed listening to him and how he wrapped his message up. Those four things that he shared of prayer and, and relationship and discipleship. And there was a fourth one that I'm forgetting. Worship. That all of these things will help us to see more clearly. It's a spiritual formation. This is how we are formed um, as disciples. We cannot become disciples without spiritual formation. And spiritual formation always happens as a result of listening. You cannot be a disciple unless you listen, and particularly unless you listen to what the Spirit, to what Jesus has to say to you. And so Peter is so excited He's excited about the fact that he has just seen the glory of the Lord, that the first thing that he wants is to do, to do. That is so much like, like us, that very often we are, we are prone to activity. And Jesus is saying, no, being must come before doing. And so Peter says, let us build, let us do something about what we've just seen. Let us build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and the other one for Elijah. But while he's saying that, God thunders from heaven. No, Peter, hold up. Here is my son. What I want you to do first is listen. Listen to him. Listen before doing. Attend to discipleship. Listen. You can't be one of Jesus' disciples until you listen. 
We must listen to him, instruct, train, and discipline you through his word. Because we need all three, don't we? We need to be trained. We need to be instructed. We need to be disciplined through his word. You can't have peace without listening to his gentle whisper, peace be still. Because you see, as Christians, we go through storms, don't we? We experience all kinds of storms. Health storms, marital storms, storms in business. But we must listen to hear Jesus say, take it easy. I got this. I got this. Be still. You won't know what step to take next unless you listen to him instruct, teach, and counsel you in the way that you should go. Uh, the, the psalmist David um, records these words, God himself saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You won't have the power to overcome temptations or to serve God's kingdom unless you listen to him say to you, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit who is in you, says the Lord. And so how will we discover what the Lord wants us to do and where he wants us to go unless we listen to him individually and corporately as a church so that he might instruct us and teach us where to go. Now here's the bottom line of our message, that God's glory is what makes the difference between doing church and being the church. And believe me, my friends, I want to be part of a church that is being and not just doing. It is God's glory that makes the difference between the two. I will close this morning with one application point only. One application point. I'm shuddering even now as I share it with you. Rhonda included these words in a song that she chose. Unbeknownst that this was actually in the message this morning. Lord, please show us your glory. This is a five-word prayer that Moses himself prayed way back in the Old Testament. Moses prayed this prayer at a time in his life where he was second-guessing God's call upon him to lead the children of Israel. So he was, he was not sure that, that this was his assignment, and he was second-guessing himself. And as he was doing this, and as he was second-guessing his own ability to lead, because you see, sometimes as leaders, even as God's people, we do that. We might project outwardly that we have everything under control and we know what we're doing, but we don't. We are at our wit's end and we have to cry out to God and say, God, unless you do something, I can't. And Moses is at this very place. And so this five-word prayer from Moses was in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. It says to God, please show me your glory. And I ask the question, why that prayer? Moses prayed it for two reasons. One, God, I want your people to know that you are with me. Because you see, 
I am trembling in my boots. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't lead three million people through a desert. But I want your people to know that you are with me as I am trying to lead. Secondly, God, I want your enemies, all those nations that are around us that you have called us to destroy, I want them to know that we are your people and that you are fighting for us. I believe Moses is saying, God, I will not settle for anything else. Nothing less than your glory, the glory of your presence will do. I don't want an angel. Don't send an angel to go before me. I don't want an angel because an angel can't help me. I need the presence of the glory of God because only your glory and your presence will do. Now I can think of no better prayer as I close for us to pray corporately during these times of change and uncertainty as this prayer. It's a prayer of desperation, isn't it? God, please show us your glory because nothing else will do. Nothing else. New stuff won't do it. Sprucing up things and spicing up things won't do it. It is your glory in your church on Sunday mornings as we gather to worship you. It is your glory that will accomplish this. We want the people in our community to know that we are your people. So many times yesterday as people came, came up and I was talking with them, they said, thank you guys for putting on this event today for the community. I heard that so many times. Thank you for doing this for the community. And believe me, this is what we've been praying for. God, make this church a place that people can come to for light. Make it a beacon of light in this community. Only the glory of the Lord will accomplish this. Let us pray together. God, this is a cry of our hearts this morning. This is a prayer that we pray. Please, God, show us your glory. Not for our good, but for your glory. Let your name be exalted in this place. Lord, let this entire piece of property that is Brown's Chapel, from the gates to the parking lot, to the entrance to this building, to the hallways, to the classrooms, to the sanctuary, to the pulpit, let this place be known as a place where the glory of the Lord is present. And God, would you continue to do amazing things among us for your glory and for your glory only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.